If you would uh, take out your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you didn't have your Bible here, you can also take the Pew Bible. We're going to be reading two passages this morning. First from the book of Romans, the ninth chapter. We'll be reading the 10th through the 18th verse. It's page 920 in your Pew Bibles. And then we'll be in Ephesians 1. But first, Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. And as we read together, remember that we do so humbly and reverently because this is the very Word of God. Let's begin in verse 10. Nor is that all. Something similar happened to Rebekah when she had conceived children by one husband, our ancestor Isaac. Even before they had been born or had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose of election might continue, not by works but by his call, she was told the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he chooses, and he hardens the heart of whomever he chooses. And now if you would switch over to Ephesians chapter 1, page 949. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be reading verse 4 through verse 14. Beginning in verse 4. Just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love, He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. This is the Word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. If you would please be seated at this time. And as you are seated, it's my privilege to welcome back to our pulpit Cal Thomas, who uh, was here about a month and a half ago, and you've probably read his column in any one of many, many newspapers. And so please give a warm Bel Air welcome to Cal Thomas. Thank you very much, Roger. Um, 
I always feel so welcome in this wonderful body. A lady came up to me before the first service this morning and said, You again? <laughs> said, Sit in the back and have a nice nap. <laughs> wonderful to be here. My second coming of the fall. Very, very nice. Wonderful to see so many people here this morning. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Father in heaven, your children did not come here this morning to hear from me. They came to hear from you. And so I pray that you will push me aside in my attitudes and whatever I've come to say, that we might hear from you instead, and that all praise and glory might be yours. In Christ's name, amen. Now you would expect me, of course, being a commentator. I am a continuing adolescent. I get to have opinions on everything and take responsibility for nothing. It's the ideal job. <laughs> you would expect me this morning to uh, speak of the election which I intend to do. But not that election. That was either a celebrating Democrat or a mourning Republican. I don't know which it is. We're going to talk about the other kind this morning because this is the only one that really matters. Uh, but we begin with the... Um, uninspired dictionary that still gives some uh, insight. I like definitions. I think they're important. The dictionary defines election in four ways. Number one, the election of a person or persons for office by vote. I suppose that has the most direct bearing on the, uh, that other election we just came through. Second definition, a public vote upon a proposition submitted. You know something about those things in California. Number three, the act of electing. And number four, theology, the choice by God of individuals as for a particular work or favor, or for favor, or salvation. Any bets on which one I'm going to be talking about this morning? Most of us, I hope, have exercised our civic duty and privilege and participated in the election of a person or persons for office by casting our vote. Some may have voted more than once. Some of your dead friends may have voted. That's called the ultimate absentee ballot. By the way, I do think that if we're going to have the death tax, then we ought to allow dead people to vote on the basis of no taxation without representation. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Now, especially here in California, you have a multitude of propositions for which you can vote as well. I don't know how you get through all of them, but they're all on the ballot. In all of this, we have participated in the act of electing. Now, I don't want to speak any about that election because even the best of our leaders are flawed and subject to the temptations, if not of House pages, then the temptations of pride, power, place, and presumption. There's plenty of that in both parties. I didn't know you had an applause meter here. This is very exciting. In these things, pride, place, power, and presumption, we are all nonpartisan. The current majority, which will be changing in a few weeks to the delight of some and the distress of others, like the previous majority and all future majorities, will fall out of favor eventually with those who elected them. Voters will then try the other guys, and they'll come to a moment when they too fall out of favor. And so the process repeats, and so our cynicism deepens. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust 
in princes, Psalm 118, 8 and 9. Jesus trusted no man, not because he was a cynic. If he was, he wouldn't have come to save us. But because he knew our flaws, our weaknesses, our agendas, which are mostly about the here and now and not the eternal. What does it mean to be elected by God? And to be among the elect, well, theologians have been writing and debating this point for a very long time, and I am not a theologian, as some of you know, and do not expect to settle the matter here today. But here are some important truths God wants us to know about his election procedure. The first thing that should be said about election in the biblical sense is this. Election is always mysterious because it is the will and decree of God. This is an essential issue with the creature trying to govern and expecting that the Creator will act according to our desires and dictates. So the very idea of election is undemocratic. I'm reminded of a marvelous line from a too often quoted movie, but that's not going to stop me today, the 1981 best picture, Chariots of Fire. The scene is uh, Eric Little, the great Scottish runner, and his trainer named Sandy, and Eric's father are emerging from a church in Scotland, and they're having this debate about election and free will and the sovereignty of God. And uh, Sandy turns to Eric's father and says, well, then, then this God of yours, sir, is, uh, is a dictator. And Eric's father replies, aye, that he is Sandy, but a benign dictator. Everything begins with the character of God, not us. It begins with who God is, not what we want or how we can and should, how he can or should meet our expectations. And if he doesn't, we'll have no more to do with him. It isn't about our questions. It is about his answers. God never has to live down to our expectations. He is high and lifted up as the prophet Isaiah saw him. Now, I don't understand why God elected me because there is nothing of value in me, a sinner. By the way, for those under 40, sin was what we used to be before we became dysfunctional. Just thought I'd <laughs> toss that in for you. It's not about me. As Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural address concerning his inability to understand why the Civil War had come to our young country, the Almighty has his own purposes. God has a very long view we have a limited view. God sees perfectly. We see through a glass darkly. God's motives are pure, and he defines goodness. Our motives are mostly self-indulgent, and we are sinners. That should humble us, but it rarely does. The key here is that we don't have to understand something in order to believe it. In the classic example, what you're sitting on today holds you up, though I dare say few of you would be able to explain the physics of it. I can't satisfactorily answer why children die. I can't explain Darfur or school shootings or poverty or gang wars in L.A. Oh, I can say these things are the result of sin and living in a fallen world. That may satisfy theologically, but it doesn't satisfy my humanity. And what is it about me or you that would command us, commend us to God if we are honest? If we look beyond the makeup and the lights, beneath the press agents and releases, and the faith in our own resumes and talents and brilliance, we know we are empty and poor and dying, don't we? Shouldn't we? 
With candidates for public office, we examine records, listen to talking points, see how much we agree with them before deciding to give one our approving vote and the other the back of our ballot. But what does it matter in eternity? Does anyone remember or care, unless you are studying for a test, the raging issues of the election of 1826? Was there an election of 1826? I don't know. I picked it out of the air. What were the great issues of the election of 1924? Does anyone care? Do they affect us today? My wife and I were at an event last night in West Hollywood. Pause for laughter. <laughs> that second wave was older people having it explained to them. Oh, I love West Hollywood. I go there whenever I can. I feel uh, I parachuted in behind enemy lines. It's a wonderful place. <laughs> wonderful place. All the great. Love going there. So last night we were at this big thing at the Actors Fund uh, benefit, uh, celebration of Julie Stein's centennial. Fabulous performers, great music, just wonderful. You know how you know you're getting old when you see the performers at a thing like that and you saw most of them in the original cast when they first started out. Oh, it was incredible. It was wonderful. But you know something? All of them, like Julie Stein, will soon be dead, some sooner than others. All of them, what will they leave behind? Memories, oldie stations, centenaries of their birth, if anybody remembers or cares. With God, all of this and what really matters and means things in life are totally opposite our own and different, as often everything is. We prefer the limelight, even the spiritual limelight, to be known among our contemporaries. We have a horrible habit in Washington. I, I think it happens out here, too, in a different context. I had this woman come up to me recently and says, Oh, I, I know who you are. I said, No, madam, you know what I do. Knowing who I am will take a longer time. We confuse who we are with what we do. And if we aren't somebody at the moment, then we are nobody. But God says it's all different with him, especially in the spiritual realm. He says, When you pray, go into your closet and pray in secret. Do not let people see you. Today we put out a press release which says, Look at me. I'm praying, you see. Aren't you impressed? Aren't I spiritual? Don't you wish you were me? And can we please, could we please have a, shall we call it a fast, shall we call it a timeout from politicians of both sides invoking God all the time? I like again what Lincoln said. I like again what Lincoln said. He's not so much interested in whether God is on his side as to whether we are on God's side. You know, whenever I hear a politician talking about God, I put my hand on my wallet and go into my prayer closet. <laughs> we elevate ourselves, and God prefers humility. We focus on wealth and place. He focuses on the poor in spirit. In our elections, we decide who will lead us. But when God elects us, he decides who will follow him. With one, it's our choice. With the other, the choice belongs to God. The elector in a special category called out from all humanity for the purpose of glorifying God. The elect belong to him and are preserved in a special way. Consider some of the references you heard, too, this morning. There are many others in Scripture to this idea of the elect. In Matthew 24, 22, Jesus is talking about the end of the age, which, if you read the papers and watch the news, seems to be an awful lot closer. He says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. 
The footnote here is interesting, and again, not being a theologian, I need the help of others. It says, some hold that this statement means that the distress will be of such intensity that if allowed to continue, it will destroy everyone. Others believe that Christ is referring to the cutting short of a previously determined time period. I can conclusively say this morning, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Though the context would suggest the former. But it's not necessary that I know. So many people want to know before they believe. God says, you believe, trust me and my character, and I'll reveal to you in due time what I want you to know. So it's not necessary I know. Only I believe in the one who does know. A bit later, later, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Anybody see any false signs and false prophets these days? I miss them at the airport. <laughs> Apparently the elect are to be preserved by God's spirit against such things. How gracious of him. Have you ever felt special? Part of something you had no right to feel a part of? Perhaps a party you were invited to with people who are famous or wealthy or more successful than you or much better educated? That happens to me all the time. To be one of the elect is better than all of that. About his reappearance, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 30 and 31, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. And what will they mourn? They will mourn because they missed it. They will mourn for themselves. How can that be, you say? People only mourn the dead. That's right. They'll be mourning themselves because they will realize they are dead, the unelected. Have you noticed there are no celebrations at the campaign headquarters of losing candidates? Nobody is interviewed and say, yes, I concede to my opponent who clearly is much better equipped to do this job than me. So, God bless him and God bless America. Uh, you never see that. You never see a sports reporter from ESPN or one of the networks going into the locker room of the losing team of the Super Bowl and having a player say, yep, I'm not going to get the Nike contract, no diamond ring for me, no great appearances or interviews. It's like a funeral in there. Nobody cares about the losers. All kinds of lines come to mind. I'm not going to yield a temptation. But God cares about the losers because we are all losers without him. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This is Jesus saying such things on his own authority, an authority which is rightly his. Here's Paul in Romans 11:7. What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did, the others were hardened. Again, the footnote by people far wiser than I on such things says, Israel sought a righteous standing before God, which eluded the greater part of Israel, the elect. The faithful remnant among the Jews were hardened because they refused the way of faith. God made them impervious to spiritual truth. Now that is as frightening as Paul's statement in Romans 1, 
and God gave them over. The unelected are given over to their depravity and unbelief. In 1 Peter, the flawed apostle who denied Christ three times but was later restored by the one whom he had denied says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, don't look for the world's approval. You'll never get it unless you compromise. And spiritual compromise in God's kingdom is the language of the devil. What is God's purpose in election? Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the ministry of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. I love that line. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So, it's all about him and his glory. It's not about us and our glory. Now here's what I don't understand. While God has chosen the elect in advance, it is the preaching of his word that he uses to bring people to himself. Theologians have debated why this is and how it works for millennia. Put me down as don't know, but it isn't necessary that I know or that you know. All that is necessary is that we believe what God has said because unlike a good deal of our political leadership, God cannot lie. I didn't say he doesn't lie. I said he cannot lie. It goes to nature. So how do you know you are among the elect? You know if the verses that have been read this morning and the movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart has awakened you to something about yourself, a knowledge about yourself, a knowledge that you are not a dysfunctional unfortunate, but you have a condition known as sin. If you sense God's Spirit affirming what you have heard this morning, then you are ready to accept your nomination and election to the Kingdom of God. You know, in the presidential years, when someone is nominated for president, they make a speech at their respective conventions, and they always have this line, I accept your nomination for president of the United States. Save that soundbite. I'd like to hear that, how that sounds later on the tape, all right? Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm running from things, not for anything. Uh, think of this. I accept your nomination. Now, without that acceptance, presumably a candidate could get up and say, you know something? I've been thinking about this, and I've been reading what they've said about some of my predecessors, and sometimes people take pot shots at them, and literally as well as figuratively, and I think I'd rather just stay in the business world, and thank you very much, have a nice day, and God bless America, and walk off, and wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, 
they have to accept the nomination. And so do you. If God is stirring in your heart this morning, maybe, maybe you, uh, you know, some people say, well, I've always been a Republican or a Democrat because that was my father, my grandfather, my grandmother, whatever were, and so I'm one too. Maybe you think that because you're not this, this, and this, that you're a Christian. Mm -mm. You have to accept your nomination. It's personal. It's individual. It's generational. It cannot be handed down. It cannot be queathed to you like a, an estate sale or, or, or a will handing something down to you that belonged to somebody else. You have to receive your own nomination. And by the preaching of the word is how God has chosen to elect you. So maybe you had your name on a cradle roll when you were a child. Maybe somebody did something with water to you, sprinkling it or putting you under it. Or, you know, before we had waterboarding, we had baptism. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, all, all of these things may have been interesting, but they have nothing to do with your salvation. Each individual must receive his or her own nomination. And in this political season, would you receive the nomination of the Lord God through his son, Jesus Christ, and his election for you that has been determined before the foundation of the world. Only you can do this. I cannot. No pastor, no priest, no rabbi, no clergy person can do it for you. Only you can. And if you will, if you will, do that now and agree in the silence of your own heart with a prayer I'm about to pray on your behalf but cannot pray for you. I can only pray with you. Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner and deserve your judgment. I repent. I turn from my old life now and offer it up to you and receive your nomination, your Son, the Lord Jesus, for my election to the kingdom of God. Thank you for loving me, Lord, more than any other person could ever love me. And now help me to get not only my questions answered, but to walk in a way that would be pleasing to you. For I ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Congratulations. God bless you.